before these guys in the back so rightfully give me the notice that I'm not mic'd up. All right, before we get into our service this morning, our, our preaching time, um, we are going through a serious situation in our world at the moment. I think we would all agree with that. Um, today, by a couple of different ministry organizations, has been declared a national day of prayer for Afghanistan. Okay, so I want to take some time and spend some time praying for the situation there in Afghanistan. So um, we're going to need a couple of microphones, Timothy, if you will. Um, I'll let you get those ready as I tell you and, and seek your assistance as we, as we uh, spend some time praying for Afghanistan. Um, I have here five different pieces of paper that I would like to hand out to five different individuals who will pray for what's on this piece of paper. What's on this piece of paper is actually a prayer, and I'm not so much into reading prayers, but it will give you an idea of what to pray for if you are willing to do that. So the things that we want to pray for in regard to Afghanistan, I'll tell you what they are first because then you can choose and think about what you want to volunteer to pray for. First of all, pray for the people of Afghanistan. Uh, they've been in turmoil for decades, okay? Um, and now the only stability that they have ever known uh, is leaving the country, okay? So if you would be willing to pray for the people of Afghanistan, including the believers in Afghanistan who we've heard that there are already... Um, the Taliban is already going from house to house looking for believers uh, to take them out of their homes and to do what the Taliban does. Okay, so that's the first thing we'd like you to, somebody to volunteer to pray for. The next one is to pray for the troops and their loved ones. Okay, we still have a military presence in Afghanistan. Uh, so if you would be willing to pray for our servicemen that are over there, and perhaps even for some Afghani military people that are still uh, trying to defend their country and their families, we would also uh, encourage you and ask you to do that. And not just today, but continue to pray for these things as we work our way through the week. The next one is a prayer for leaders, okay? Um, not just the, the president of Afghanistan, but future leaders in Afghanistan. Pray for our president, um, and we're not going to make any comments about that. Just ask you to pray for him and others who are responsible for making uh, decisions at this point in time. They certainly can't make them in their own wisdom um, because it's, a, it's just a mess, and they wouldn't be able to make good decisions in their own strength and in their own wisdom. So if you would pray for our leaders and other leaders around the world as they will be interacting and making decisions about Afghanistan. The fourth thing we'd like you to pray for is a prayer for missionaries and those from other countries that are stuck inside of Afghanistan. Okay, you know that we've had a several thousands and thousands and thousands of people already evacuated from the country, but there are many, many, many more thousands still stuck in Afghanistan as the only way out is the Kabul airport, and that is certainly controlled by the Taliban at this point. So we would like you to, we would like to pray this morning for all of our missionaries or other missionaries from around the world that are in country there in Afghanistan as well as just people who might have, for some reason or another, uh, visit, been visiting Afghanistan or working in Afghanistan, we pray for the safe removal of those, or the safe extraction, I suppose is the proper term for those individuals. 
Um, and then lastly, and I know this is a difficult one, and um, if nobody wants to take this one, I'll understand and, and I will take it. Um, but we, as much as we don't agree and don't like what's going on in Afghanistan, we need to pray for the Taliban, uh, the people who make up the Taliban. Uh, they need to know Jesus. You want to end to the problem over there? You want peace in the Middle East? The only way to have it is to know the Prince of Peace, is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So we need to pray for that. Um, because no matter who they are, no matter if they're, even if they're our greatest enemy, we certainly don't wish hell on anyone. Okay, so if we would have somebody who would want to pray for that. So I think some of these have already been taken care of. The people of Afghanistan, is that already? We got them all sorted out, Ben? Okay, all right. So if you would um, take a moment, we'll start with the prayer for the people of Afghanistan. Who's got that one? Carl? All right, and then we'll move on to, well, just go ahead and pray, and we'll move on to the next one after that. Lord, we lift up the people of Afghanistan to you right now. We pray that you would take hold of them and walk them through this fearful time and difficult time in their country. Please protect them under your wing and help them to feel the comfort and peace that only comes from your powerful presence. So many people from all over the world and uh, Christians alike have come to call this place home and are now displaced because of this event. Remind them, Lord, that their true home is in heaven with you. Give those who believe in you the courage to stand strong in their faith and be a strong witness for you. Also, be with those who do not believe in you. Help them to see the peace in your followers and allow the Holy Spirit to stir in their hearts as they see this and they witness the acts of these believers. In Christ's name, amen. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 41, 10 through 12, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your Lord. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. Obviously, those words were written to the children of Israel, um, but we can take great comfort, even from those Old Testament passages, as we seek God's grace and comfort and guidance during these difficult times. Who's got praying for the troops and their loved ones? Paul. Oh, Lord. We lift up the military troops that are in or being deployed to Afghanistan right now. Protect them as they give up their safety to protect us. Thank you that we live in this free country where the choice can be made to fight for this freedom. Thank you for every single person who has dedicated their own lives to protecting this nation and people as well as the people of other nations. Help them evacuate people with safety and be a source of hope to those feeling trapped and afraid. We thank them for their sacrifice, a sacrifice that you are so familiar with. Nearly every person knows someone or has loved one in the military, and so many are fearful that their loved ones being deployed at this moment. Cover each one with a blanket of peace knowing that you guide each of us to your ultimate victory. Comfort every veteran, family member, friend, and loved one who feels fearful or uneasy right now. We pray these things in your beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Again, from the pen of the prophet Isaiah, 
um, but applicable to some degree to all those who know and love our Savior Jesus Christ. 50, Isaiah fifty four seventeen says, No weapon formed against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So again, we're praying for those that are on a righteous task and, and assignment would be successful in that assignment. And Paul touched on it as he prayed, but we also should be praying for those I don't know, thousands and thousands of individuals who have served already in Afghanistan, uh, that they would not feel like what they've done over the last 20 years is for naught, because it's not for naught. And so pray for them and their families, those who have given their lives for the freedoms or the hopeful, hoped-for freedoms in Afghanistan over these last 20 years. All right, leaders, praying for the leaders of the countries around the world. Thank you, Joseph. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to um, look to you as our ultimate leader and for your guidance that you give us, Lord. But we also pray for those leaders around the world right now that are tasked with making different, difficult decisions. And, um, Lord, we know that it's not easy to be in their shoes, Lord, and that all of those decisions ultimately serve your plan and your purpose for us and for the world today. And, Lord, we just pray that they will look to you for that guidance and they'll look to you in all of their decisions that they make, that they'll make them in patience and wisdom and um, that they'll look to you for the best decision and that they'll always be thinking about the people that those decisions affect. And, Lord, we just pray that you will uh, just have your hand on each and every outcome and just continue to watch over and keep all those safe and um, help the leaders to be at peace with the decisions that they make and that they um, will be nudged by the Holy Spirit and that you'll just help to guide them in everything that they do and um, that they'll just constantly be thinking about that and they'll constantly be looking to you for that guidance and that wisdom, Lord. We know that you love them and you love all of us and that you've appointed each of those leaders over us for a purpose and for a reason. They may not know what that reason is and we may not know it either, but Lord, you know it and we're so grateful for that and the plan that you've put in place for us. And we pray all of these great things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joseph. Absolutely spot on. God is sovereign, and these people who are in, in leadership positions around the world are there because God dec- decreed for them to be there for whatever purpose. And I know that sometimes we have a hard time with um, whether it's wicked people being in power or incompetent be- people being in power, but you know what? When Paul was writing uh, like the book of Romans, for example, and he said, submit to the authorities that be because God has ordained them to be there. You know who was in charge of Rome at the time? Nero. I affectionately refer to him as Nero the Nut because he was just a a crazy guy and he had no regard for the things of God and yet God allowed him and placed him there in power for whatever reasons and maybe the people who lived in Rome at that time didn't like it, didn't understand it, but you know what Paul said? still have to submit. So we're praying for wisdom for our leaders. James 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, of course this is written to believers, and that's why we're praying for the salvation of our leaders. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we continue to pray for leadership around the world. We also want to pray for missionaries and those from other countries for whatever reason they might be there in Afghanistan at this point in time. Mark's got that, so thank you, Mark. Lord, as we continue to pray for uh, the situation in Afghanistan, we just pray now specifically for uh, missionaries uh, that are in that country right now. 
Lord, any time a missionary uh, chooses to go and to serve you, they assume a small bit of risk in doing that. But Father, these missionaries that are in Afghanistan right now have found themselves in a place that is extremely dangerous. Yet, Father, we know that there is no better place for them to be than right there if that's where you have placed them. Lord, we ask for your continued protection for them, that you would keep them safe, that you would um, keep them out of harm's way. Father, if, if that changes, if that doesn't happen, Lord, we just pray that they would um, stand up for you strongly and firmly in the midst of persecution that may come their way. And Lord, we pray not only for their physical safety, but we just pray that you would use them where they are right now to further your gospel. Help them to be a light where you've placed them, which at the moment is a very dark and scary place. But Lord, we just pray that they would shine brightly for you, that they would um, be able to encourage others, that they would be able to uh, show others around them who don't know who you are and um, what you stand for, um, that through you and through your son Jesus, they have reason, they have a way to uh, be secure and to be hopeful and to be joyful even in the midst of what they're going through. So we just lift all of them up to you now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. The psalmist wrote, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Psalm 34, verses 7 through 9. And then lastly is a difficult one to, you know, in our humanness, we tend not to want to pray for those who are opposed to what we believe and and against what we think is right, uh, even against the things of the Lord. But uh, Scripture admonishes us to pray for our enemies, pray for those who despitefully use us, pray for those who are in opposition. And what great testimonies come from those who come to know Jesus, uh, who at one point in time persecuted the name of Jesus. Uh, For example, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul falls into that category. So we need to pray for the Taliban, uh, that God would bring to them revelation, even as they persecute Christians, that they might see the light of Jesus shine through these individuals and come to know Christ as their Savior. Dave? They offer no uh, means of support to the people, yet there are many people in the nation of Afghanistan that do know you, and we ask that the Taliban sees the love those people have and the faith those people have and look at it like they want to know more about what it is because they lack that. So we ask that since you're the sovereign Lord of all and you have allowed this situation to occur, that we know that you have a plan in place for this and that you will 
use this situation to move your Holy Spirit in the land of Afghanistan so those who don't know you have a desire to learn who you are and what you are. And when they see the light you offer in the darkness there, that they will want to turn to that light. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Jesus said, he was correcting some false teaching in his day, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they were being taught during Jesus' ministry. And then there's that little word, but, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. We know that there is going to be persecution going on in Afghanistan. We've heard reports of pastors that are uh, in hiding and people are going and knocking on doors looking for pastors, looking for Christians uh, so they can... so they can put out the light of Jesus that is shining there. So we want to be praying for these individuals, but as we pray for them, remember to pray that as persecution comes their way, and this is something we should consider in our own country as well, although we have no, no persecution that we're aware of at this point in time, but it may come um, that as our persecutors wreak their havoc upon the believers that they would the believers would shine a light of 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 grace and truth and god's mercy uh in 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 the face of certain death Uh, so many people who have gone before us have faced the martyr sword and have uh brilliantly shown for our for our great god so we want to make sure that we're praying for those that may be facing that even today as we freely hear worship in our great country of america one other thing i'd like you to be praying for there's something else well, there's lots of things that happened in our world this week there was a a terrible earthquake in the country of haiti 7.2 on the richter scale thousands of people uh scattering around uh, hundreds of people were, were killed in the earthquake so we need to be praying for the country of haiti as well i will do that as we uh, begin our service our, our preaching time this morning our gracious heavenly father we come before you today and we thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together as brothers and sisters in christ we pray this morning for anybody who might be here that doesn't know jesus as their savior that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in jesus christ As we think this morning of the country of Haiti, we know that there are uh, so many people in Haiti, uh, many are even without homes, but even now after the earthquake, far more people are are being left homeless. People have passed away uh, because of the destruction and the turmoil as a result of this earthquake. We want to pray for those that are giving aid. Uh, I know we've sent troops there to help in the rescue. I want to pray for um, those uh, aid organizations that are over there providing food and water and, and clothing uh, and shelter. We lift them up before you. We pray, Father, that as they provide these things, these necessary uh, material things, that they will also provide that which is spiritual, the, the need of the gospel to go forth, and that the gospel will change lives. And so we pray that that gospel message goes forth powerfully and clearly uh, in the days and weeks ahead as they strive to recover from this. Uh, following up on the on the. The earthquake, Father, is the hurricanes. Uh, Already one has passed through there, making it even more difficult and more sure to come uh, during the hurricane season. So we commit them into your hands. Ask for your blessing there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Interesting that um, we would come upon this portion of Scripture in light of what is happening 
in our world all around us. Uh, God makes no mistakes. There are no coincidences with God. And so this morning, as we look at the screen and you look at your note page, you see the title of the message is, A Thankful Heart Overflows. A Thankful Heart Overflows. And our thankfulness isn't determined necessarily by our physical setting. Okay, um, And as I said, as Paul wrote the book of Philippians even, he was in prison. Okay, You would think, why would anybody be thankful in prison? Well, Paul was in prison and he was thankful for what God was doing in his life. This letter to the Philippian believers from the Apostle Paul has been extremely practical. He's reminded the Philippian believers, and as we've worked our way through this text, this book, Excuse me, he has reminded us of our heavenly citizenship. You and I are not people of this world. We're not, this is not our home. We are just passing through. We're not setting up house here. We're not, uh, we're not, we're not planning to live out all, um, all of our earthly days, yes, but not all of eternity here on this planet called earth. We are from heaven. We are going to heaven. When we die here on earth, we go to heaven. If the rapture should happen, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we will go to heaven. Uh, that is our home. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims here in this world. So Paul has reminded us of that. That's where our citizenship is. He's also called to the minds of the Philippians and to us uh, that we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, the work that Christ did on the cross of Calvary, we have an amazing relationship. We have a relationship that we never thought would be possible. We had a relationship that we didn't even know could exist. We weren't even looking for it, but because Jesus died on the cross and the Holy Spirit did a work in our hearts, we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul also reminded us that because we have that relationship with Christ, we are in a body of believers, a local body of believers, and we should strive to make sure as much as is possible with us as individuals that we strive for unity within that local body. And you say, boy, that's tough. We got... 60, 70 people, all from different walks of life, all doing different things, all living uh, in some different locations and different backgrounds. How, do, how are we unified? Well, you know, Paul told us that too in this letter. He says if we want to be unified, we must live with like Christ would live. We must have the mind of Christ. Even though we, we come from different backgrounds, when the Holy Spirit does a work in us, that work unifies us. It gives us a common goal and a common purpose. In chapter 2, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 tells us that you and I, as Christians, we should be rejoicing. In fact, rejoicing is required from the child of God. Uh, we rejoice when our when our our generosity, our hospitality, our kindness is made known to all people. Uh, and you know what? It doesn't matter who the people are. It says they're all people. So we rejoice. We're thankful when God gives us the opportunity to represent him and to represent him well in the world in which he has placed us, whether that's at work or at school or at home or wherever you might find yourself. You are to represent our great God well. 
Paul goes on to say another thing that helps us make sure that we are rejoicing is that we don't become anxious. Don't be anxious for anything. You say, yeah, easy for you to say. Um, if the Ramavus were here, uh, they would say, yeah, easy. Well, they probably wouldn't because I've talked with them several times. Easy to say when you don't have three feet of water running through your basement. Okay, maybe it was four at times. Okay, uh, but you know what? When I talked to Cindy, she had the right attitude. She wasn't overcome by it. In fact, there was rejoicing in what was happening. Why would you rejoice? Well, because God's got a purpose in it all. And, and it's just a wonderful thing to see people understand that and work towards that. So don't be anxious about anything. Why not? Because you should, you should and can pray about everything. So instead of being anxious, our response is to pray. We go to God in prayer and we take whatever burdens are on our hearts and we leave them there and we allow him to deal with it. And you know what? You can let us know and we can pray alongside of you. Isn't that, that's another benefit of being part of the body of Christ when there's difficulties, even when there's rejoicing, th- things that are going well for you. Let us know so we can let others pray and either pray for your needs or pray and rejoice with you. Last week, we saw how the child of God needs to have the right thinking process. And that process is that you and I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that cleansing, we need to let our minds reflect that cleansing. And we should be thinking like Christ thought. Um, I, I came across Eric, and he's probably watching uh, this morning. I met him in Lowe's, and he's been watching our our our. our our live stream. Uh, he said, I really enjoyed the cricket illustration last week. Um, and, and you know what? That was all about helping us understand a mindset. We can't go through life with the old unbelieving mindset. We have to have a new mindset. We have to have a changed mindset. We have to think differently as the children of God. And so as we have a different mindset, we have a right thinking process because the Holy Spirit lives within us. We have the word of God at our disposal. We can learn the word of God because the Holy Spirit is teaching that to us on a regular basis. So we have to have this renewed thinking process. So as we think about those things, Paul is moving on into an extremely personal note as he closes out the book of Philippians. Finally, okay, he's used that word many times. Now we are finally at the finally part of Philippians. Okay, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 10 through 20. Last week we looked at two verses, this week we're looking at 10. Okay, and you might look at your note note page and you say, Pastor, there's a lot of blanks there. How are we going to get through all of that? Well, we're going to work at it. Okay, Uh, a lot of it is is some review because of the way Paul starts off Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Um, Would you stand? I'm going to read. You can open your copy of the scriptures to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Follow along if you would as I read. It's not on the screen, so you have to follow along. Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, and both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please remain standing as we ask God again to bless our time in his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come again before you this morning to thank you for who you are and thank you for all that is ours in Christ. Most importantly, Father, we thank you for the relationship that we have with you through Jesus Christ. That relationship was estranged. That that relationship didn't exist. It wasn't even possible until Christ died on the cross of Calvary. So, Father, we're thankful for that work on Calvary. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who drew us to yourself and brought us into that loving relationship. We're thankful, Father, for the word of God that helps us maintain that relationship with you throughout our days. We ask your blessing now upon the word as we, as we work through it and study it together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we get started this morning, verses 10 through 13, I want you to see and understand that Paul has a thankful heart. But he has a testimony that goes along with that thankful heart. Thanks and a testimony in verses 10 through 13. So many times here at Calvary Baptist Church, we ask for testimonies. And I will say when it's testimony time, does anybody have, or or something similar, anybody have a thankful heart today for what God is doing or has been doing in your life? Anybody have a thankful heart for what you have learned as you've been reading through the scriptures this week in your personal quiet time with Jesus Christ and with our great God? So very briefly, let me ask, does anybody have a thankful heart? Paul. You missed it, Caleb. You missed it. All the time, God is good, and God is good. All right. So, so Paul's thankful for having family together to worship with him, thankful for the grandchildren that they spent a couple of weeks with down in Virginia, thankful for a new job for his daughter, and there were several other things mentioned there. Kelly, you had your hand up. Okay, Kelly's thankful heart is, and I'm just going to mention one, when she's miserable, I mean, when, when we're miserable, um, we're, God still loves us. And that's true for all of us, isn't it? Not, not just any one individual. We're, we can be thankful that God loves us no matter what's going on in our lives. Thankful for the church family, she said, as well. Somebody else? Colleen.
Amen. Thankful for the prayers for her daughter and son-in-law. Uh, things are going better there. Amen for that. Continue praying, I'm sure. Amanda. All right, Amanda's thankful heart revolves around her family, uh, thought that maybe she would never have children, according to the doctors, when, when she was first married, younger, but now she has four children, and uh, she's been blessed by them. Sam. Thankful for everybody that's in church, able to make it. Yes, and for those of you online, if you have something that you want to say you're thankful for, you can write it down, and we'll share that as well. Did I see another hand? Dave. I'm thankful there's a couple of people I've been working with online that have been able to help them understand that to be a Christian doesn't mean you add Jesus Christ to your life. It means that you submit to him. And they've come to understand that. So I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit's work in that regard. Okay. Dave's thankful heart stems from his opportunity to be a witness online to people, not that we're just adding Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ becomes our master, our Lord, uh, and thankful for the opportunity to share Jesus with others, uh, even though you're not right next door to them. Steve. Okay, Steve's thankful heart is centered in the scriptures that teach us God can direct the hearts of those who are in charge, um, and we're thankful for that having happened in the past and praying that it will happen again in the future. Okay, Aunt Sheila, you may remember we prayed for Uncle Bud as he was having, a, I think it's a cochlear implant done, uh, and they were telling us that he's going to have to learn how to hear all over again. Uh, when they were here, he was struggling still with that. Uh, now he's hearing much better, so they're thankful for that. Praise the Lord. All right, so we have a thankful heart. A thankful heart overflows. That's thanksgiving and a testimony. We all have a testimony. You know, I've often told people, when you share the good news with somebody else, when you communicate the love of God to somebody else, you don't have to have a PhD in the scriptures. You just simply have to share what God has done in your life. That's your testimony. Share your story with others that God has done in your life, and God can use that in the lives of others. When we have people that join our church, we say, we want you to share your story. We want you to communicate your testimony to, first of all, the deacons, and then secondly, to the church family. And sometimes people say, why, pastor? We don't like to speak in public. Well, we want you to do that because your story may work in the heart of somebody else. Maybe they need to be encouraged. Maybe they need to know Jesus as their Savior. God can use your story of what he's done in your life to change their life as well. So we have these stories. We have these testimonies that show that we have a thankful heart and that we're, we're, we're grateful for what God does in our lives. So in this last section of the book, Paul writes out his testimony for all to see his grateful heart. First of all, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul has great joy. 
Not just a little bit of joy, but he has great joy. And he goes on to tell us the many reasons why Paul has this great joy. He has lots of reasons for rejoicing. Not just one reason or two reasons. Paul had several reasons. Kelly had a couple of reasons. So as we worked our way around the church this morning, there were lots of reasons from lots of people to be thankful and to be rejoicing. As we've studied this wonderful book of Philippians, we've seen Paul's joyful heart over and over and over again. In fact, fact, it would be good to do a quick review of some of these things that Paul rejoiced over. So you'll see all of these little note pages, these all these little blanks that are here. This is the quick review that we're going to do, okay? We're not going to turn to every verse that's there. You can do that later on if you want. I just want you to know that these are substantiated in Scripture and reasons that you and I, as we see them play out in our own lives, can be rejoicing over them as well. Starting off with Philippians chapter 1, verse Verse 4, Paul prayed joyfully. In other words, it was a joy for him to intercede for his beloved Philippians. So when we send out prayer requests via text or, or Wanda calls you up on the phone and says, hey, we have something that you need to pray about, we can joyfully bring these things to the Lord. Even if it's a difficult thing that we have to bring before the Lord, we can bring that before the Lord. And then we certainly can rejoice when God answers those things favorably as we've seen even this week with a favorable answer to the prayer requests that we've been offering up. So we pray joyfully and 118, we see Paul rejoiced when the gospel was preached. You know what? We've talked about this already, even as Afghani people are being tortured and persecuted. When they're being tortured and persecuted, I can't help but believe that they are giving the gospel. They are communicating Christ in these dire situations. So Paul rejoiced when the gospel was preached, even if it was done to make his life more difficult. You remember that we talked about People who spoke the word of God just so Paul would get an extra lash or two in prison. Just so he might get an extra couple of days or weeks or months or years added to his prison sentence. They spoke about the gospel and they tied Paul to that gospel. And Paul says, praise the Lord, the gospel's going out, even if it's to my detriment. So even no matter what, when the gospel goes forth, we should rejoice In 125, Paul saw himself as the one that God used to help the Philippians and others as well, but specifically here, the Philippians progress in their walk with the Lord. You and I are so incredibly blessed when we have the opportunity to work in the lives of others and and communicate the good news and help them grow in their walk. Uh, Maybe God's using you to disciple or the term that's in vogue now is mentor somebody in their walk with the Lord. If you have that privilege, you should be rejoicing and you should let others know that you're doing it not for a pat on the back, but so that they can rejoice with you. That's what Paul says, when, when God allows me to help somebody else grow in their walk with Jesus, it brings great joy to my heart. Paul was rejoicing in chapter 1, verse 26, over a potential visit. 
The Philippians rejoiced abundantly over what God accomplished through Paul, and they would rejoice when and if God would allow Paul to come to them and communicate in person the things that God was doing in and through him. Every four years or so, we would come back from South Africa when we were missionaries there, and we would tell our supporting churches what God was doing. We would give them an update on the ministry, the things that we've asked them to pray about for the three years that we were gone. We asked them to pray, and and God answered those prayers. And at that time, when we came back on furlough, we would share how God answered those prayers. And especially when we were building the building and all these amazing things happened during that building project, people were rejoicing with us. And every time a person came to know Jesus as their Savior, people were rejoicing with us. We have a friend right now in South Africa, their family, um, they keep saying, we're coming to visit, we're coming to visit. And you know what? Every time Charlie tells me he's coming to visit, he's listening right now because he listens every Sunday. Every time Charlie says, I'm coming to visit soon, Pastor, soon, and I'll throw Paul in there too because he says he's coming, okay? When those people say they're coming, it brings joy to our hearts, When Stan came and shared his testimony here in our church uh, a couple of years ago, it brought joy to our hearts and hopefully encouraged you as well. As we see the things that God does, and there's the potential of being reunited here on this earth. We know we're going to be reunited in heaven, right? But how sweet is it, Paul shared, it's good to have family together. It's good to spend time with family. How sweet is it when you get together with those you know and love and you talk about Jesus? What a blessing. They were looking forward to the potential visit. In chapter 2, verse 2, we see that Paul and the Philippians were purposed in their thinking. You see, when the believers at Philippi were determined to think the same way as Christ thought, Paul's joy would be full. He said, fulfill ye my joy. Have this mind, which was also in Christ Jesus. So when we're purposed in our thinking, we can't help but have the joy of the Lord flowing out of our lives. In verse 16 of chapter 2, we see that Paul rejoices over a productive life. He lived and he served faithfully. He knew that he would be able to rejoice when he, would be, when he received his rewards for faithful service to the master. When the master says to you, when you stand before him, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of my rest. Man, that will perhaps be the most joyful time ever in your life. And so Paul says, that's what we're striving for, to have a productive life. In chapter two, verse 17, we see that Paul rejoiced over the privilege of sacrificial service. Paul sacrificially served the Lord. He considered this a joy and a privilege to sacrificially serve the one true God. Going right along with that in verse 18, um, Paul says, if the Philippians or anyone else follows Paul's pattern of sacrificial service, they too will have a joyful service or a joyful spirit. So what makes a joyful spirit for the child of God? When they're sacrificially serving the one true God. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. And this reminds us that our joy is the result of our position in Christ. You and I can rejoice because of whose we are. And because of whose we are, we are in the family of God. We are forever secure 
in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Nothing can take that away from us. And so he says, rejoice because of your position in Christ. In chapter 3, verse 3, Paul reminds us that without Christ, we are paupers. We are, we are poor people. We have nothing to be happy about, nothing to rejoice in. All that we are spiritually, we owe to Christ So we give him all the credit, we boast about him and his accomplishments, and we give all glory to Jesus Christ, to our great God. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul's spiritual posterity, he he considers the Philippian church those that he, he was responsible for, for bringing to Christ and nurturing in Christ and leaving them behind. He calls them his joy and crown. He did not get his joy from earthly things, but he got his joy from the spiritual offspring that was faithfully serving and walking with the Lord. Man, it's a great thing to be able to look back at you over your life and see individuals who you had the privilege of sharing the gospel with and seeing them come to know Jesus as their Savior and faithfully serve him. Whether you're close to them physically or not any longer, when you see what God is doing in their lives, you are encouraged and blessed. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 4, we should have perpetual joy. We are reminded that nothing should rob our joy from us. Nothing has the ability to steal our joy from us unless we let it. Okay? And you know what? The reason we can have perpetual joy is because we know where we're going to spend eternity. The here and the now might not be so happy. Okay? But the future, eternity... With God, with Jesus, as the bride of Christ? Oh, man. That's amazing. In fact, we could say that's awesome. Doesn't get any better than that. And then chapter, ten, chapter 4, verse 10, the perspective of giving. Our text this morning shows that Paul rejoiced when he received gifts from those that supported the ministry that God called him to. When the Philippians... Ca- regularly gave to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He rejoiced over that. And you know what? He's saying that you guys can rejoice as well because God is using what you have given for the furtherance of the gospel ministry. To God be the glory, great things he does. So we, we see here in this quick review that there are many reasons for rejoicing. We also see here Paul's magnificent rejoicing. Not only does he have many reasons to rejoice, but this is a great rejoicing. It is the last thing that Paul said causes him not to just rejoice a little bit, but to greatly rejoice. What exactly is Paul greatly rejoicing over, right? It's good to ask questions. You know, Paul, Paul doesn't want us just to, you know, read and gloss over what he says here. He wants us to delve into it. But why, Paul? Why are you rejoicing so much? Well, he's rejoicing, first of all, we see in the text, because their care has flourished again for Paul. According to William Hendrickson, who wrote a series of commentaries on the New Testament, Paul is using another word picture here. Listen to how Hendrickson translated this phrase. It really does point an amazing picture, or paint an amazing picture for us. He says, Now I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you caused your concern for my welfare to bloom afresh. It didn't just happen. They intentionally made it happen. 
Beginning of the summer, late spring, we asked you to bring petunias to church so we could plant them in the planters outside. A couple of weeks ago, they were looking pretty sparse, looking not so nice. And Barb went through and pulled all the dead, she deadheaded it. She pulled all the dead flowers off of it and trimmed it back a little bit. Not, not the funnest thing to do, but it got done. And you know what? This morning, if you look at them, most of them have bloomed afresh. They look good again. Paul says, you guys, by giving to the work, by giving to the ministry, by sacrificially giving to the work of God, you have caused that giving, that joy to bloom afresh in my life and in the life of those God allows me to minister to. When you give to the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, you are giving not just to support the pastor or keep the lights on here, but you are giving to support worldwide works, things that are going on in Kenya, in Africa, things that are going on in Brazil, things that are going on in East Asia, going on all over the world. It's our goal as a church to have a Mark's in many places around our world. And as we support those missionaries, they use that money to carry out the things that God has called them to do in their life and in their ministry. Coming up in October, we're going to have a chance to have the Cummings with us, and they're going to communicate what God is doing in Brazil. We recently had... um, the Beckleys with us, and they shared what was going on in Africa along with the Pitsleys in Kenya. Uh, we get regular information from Wilson Mongo. Uh, again, things that are going on in Kenya. God is busy all around the world, and your giving to the ministry helps make that happen. The care for others flourishes again. Paul goes on to say uh, that he knew the Philippians were committed to the ministry that God called him to, but they didn't have opportunity in the past. You see, they didn't just give once and say, okay, forget about it, that's good enough. They gave and they gave and they gave and they gave regularly. They were committed to the ministry that God called the Apostle Paul to. Their desire to give was there, but the means at times was not there. They didn't have an opportunity to either either give because they didn't have anything to give or they didn't have the means to get it to the Apostle Paul. So they, they stored up sometimes and they gave when they had the opportunity. As God provided with the Philippians, they willingly gave of their resources. Paul says, you gave and you met the need of the ministry that I was involved in. Paul's testimony is endearing communication He says to the Philippians, you Philippians have desired to minister to my need for some time. And now that God has made that opportunity possible for you, you jumped at that opportunity. You gave. What a great blessing to give. And the giving brought great joy to the heart of the Apostle Paul. We uh, sometimes get checks in the mail from people we don't know. At least the first time. We get checks from people that don't live in the area sometimes. We get checks from, sometimes from a company because somebody passed away and the company says, you know what, we have a, a, a thing that we'd give a gift to a charitable organization of that person's choice when they pass away. We rejoice when that stuff comes in. We don't count on it, but we rejoice that God worked in that situation and made it available to us. 
when we got gifts that we weren't expecting as missionaries. Wow, how, how thankful it was. You, many of you weren't part of this church family when we were working on the building project. But one day, um, we had this unexpected cost come up. We had to buy windows, okay, for the church building. And we thought we would have, you know, a couple of months to get the money for the windows. And the guy says to me, he says, Pastor, you need to have, if you can buy the windows within this week, we can get you windows at cost, but we're buying windows for another project that we're working on, so we have to buy them at the same time. So we sent out a letter, and within a matter of days, the money came in to buy the windows. Oh, man, thank you, God. We rejoice over what God does when people give. And Paul says, I'm rejoicing over those things. That resulted in Paul having an attitude of gratitude Paul's attitude of gratitude. And I want you to understand this, and we see it in the writings of the Apostle Paul. The magnitude of the need should not affect our, con- our contentment. We had a great need for windows. But even if God chose not to provide through churches in America, that would have been okay. We would have kept saving and we would have bought the windows and God would have supplied and provided in another means. But... This great need, the greatness of our need or the smallness of our need should not determine our contentment. Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, this is a tough thing to say, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, Paul wasn't writing from New York State, okay? You didn't get that, did you? I've learned in whatever state I am, even if it's New York, to be content. But that's not what he's talking about. I have learned whether, I, whether I'm well cared for, whether I have all the things I need at my disposal, or I have nothing that I think I need at my disposal, I have learned to be content. Whether I have all my needs met or I, I have no needs met, I can be content. Why? Because he finds his contentment in Jesus Christ, not in his physical or material situations. The magnitude of the need should not affect our contentment. There's also the mystery of being content. How, Paul? How can you be content when you don't know where your next meal is coming from? You might be thinking this would be great to have this mystery unraveled because Paul seems to be content and we don't really understand why. Well, it has to do with growing in our walk and in our relationship with God. Paul goes on to explain it. He explains it this way. I have learned to be content. It didn't come natural, and it probably didn't come easy. A lot of things that we learn don't necessarily come easy. I mean, I might sit down, I'm working on a project. Well, I put, I put some new lights in and a switch in, uh, in the basement in the parsonage. I went to YouTube. I watched different videos, four or five, six different videos. And I still... Eh. Not sure I want to try this. Not sure I get it. I need to have further explanation. It helps to learn the process. So I went next door to my neighbor and I said, Hey, I want to do this. How do I do this? So he draws me a picture. And he shows me and he tells me. And I take that piece of paper back and I go like this. Ah, I learned it. Dave helped me figure it out. YouTube guys didn't necessarily help me figure it out, but my neighbor did. So I went and I switched it. I put the, I put the light up. I put the switch in, and it works. 
I mean, you can do a lot of things, but if you don't learn the process well, they might not all work. Paul says, I have learned. Not always easy to learn, is it? But I have learned, Paul says, to be content. What's that learning look like? Well, he says, first of all, I've learned and I know how to be abased. Abased. In other words, I've learned to suffer need. Paul says, I know what it means to be hungry. I know what it means to not know where my next meal is coming from. I've discovered the secret behind it. That's what that word means. He figured out how to be in great need and not let that need consume him. You know what the figuring out was? Taking the need to God and letting God meet the need. Because he says, I will meet all of your needs. Isn't it amazing that a lot of times he meets our wants too? Paul says, I've learned. Not only has he learned to be a base, but he says, I know how to abound. That word abound, it means to be full. It means to have an abundance. Paul also figured out the secret of having everything he could possibly need and then some. Hmm. That's interesting. Figuring out how to have it all and to be content with having it all. Because you know what? A lot of times when, when we keep getting and keep getting and keep accumulating, we're still not content. Give me more. I want more. I need more. Paul says, I've learned to content. Be content when I'm abounding. <coughs> the key here is the attitude of contentment. You see, in Paul's world, being content meant being self-sufficient, self-reliant, able to calmly face the pressures of life. That's what it meant to be content from a worldly perspective. Paul meant something totally different, though, when he says that here. To him, being content was a gift from God that helped him find sufficiency for everything in life by trusting God rather than relying on himself. I've learned to be content because I trust in my God and I don't have to rely on me to make things work or to make things be better. We're probably tempted to think that that's impossible. And why would you try to accomplish things in your own strength anyway? Paul reveals that secret in verse 13. He says, I, have, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that's Paul's game plan. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We see the totality of the plan here. Paul says, all things, not a few things, not some things, or not even most things. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's a good explanation by John MacArthur. He says this, The apostle does not, of course, mean that he could physically survive indefinitely without food, water, sleep, or shelter. What he is saying is that when he reached the limit of his resources and strength, even to the point of death, he was infused with strength of Christ. He could overcome the most dire physical difficulties because of the inner spiritual strength that God had given him. You know what that tells me? My circumstances might not change. And I need to be okay with that. And it's the strength of Christ that helps me be okay with that. 
Perhaps Paul was thinking about the passage that the prophet Isaiah penned long before Paul ever came into being over in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31, where he says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. And here's that part that we know. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, but the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, what shall they do? They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wow. God's got it all in control. He's got it all worked out, doesn't he? The totality of the plan. We also see the truth of the plan. It is through Christ that Paul is strengthened and enabled to do all things. What a statement of humility there. Paul is strengthened not in, his, not in himself, but through Christ. Paul was held in high regard by many. All over the Christian world at the time and down through the ages, many of us say, man, if we could just be like Paul. People hold Paul in high regard. But you know what? Paul gave it all, all credit to God. Even though Paul had touched countless lives with the gospel, Paul declares his own inadequacies and the fact that he is completely and utterly dependent on Jesus Christ. Man, no matter what's going on in life, you and I need to be completely and utterly dependent on our great God, Jesus Christ. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it's easy or whether it's hard, The truth is that we depend on Jesus Christ. We find our sufficiency in him. (sighs) The clock says it's time to quit. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to quit when the clock says to quit. Is that okay? No. Well, yes, there's a truthful voice there. All right, we've got some more to cover, and we will. And this is a good place to stop, actually. It's a good breaking point, so we'll stop here. Um, and that way, you can actually tear off your communication card and, lose, and use it and not lose the notes for the rest of the sermon. All right? You don't even have to bring it back, because believe me, next week, there'll be more than just this little bit to cover. All right? So uh, let's close and thank God for the way he works in our lives, for the things that he does, for the great God that he is, and how we can have a thankful heart no matter what's going on in the world around us. Our gracious Heavenly Father,